Welcome to a special interview segment of the Tomorrow's TuneIn Podcast. I am your host, Chris Marshall. Most of the interviews that are conducted for our various magazine and publications are done over the phone. And today we give you an in-depth and personal look inside one between back issue writer Richard Scott and voice talent Gary Owens, who you may know from Space Ghost and Laugh-In, among other things. This is a real treat because not only does Owens talk about his long career, but he also has some funny and interesting stories involving many of his famous Hollywood and animation friends, but he also does a few voices along the way. You can read the full interview in back issue number 30, which is our Saturday Morning Hero special, and it is on sale now. So enjoy the interview, and I'll catch you on the way back. Yeah, that's great. I had it on display. I was signing autographs uh, Saturday and Sunday with Jonathan Winters and uh, at the memorial show, you know, the one that uh, Ray Quartz does. Right. And we did very well. Oh, that's good. Jonathan couldn't do it on Saturday. I did it for about three hours on Saturday. And uh, next to Brigitte Nielsen. Oh, wow. Sly Stallone's wife for several minutes. Right. I I remember she was uh, slated to play She-Hulk at one point. Well, she played quite a few different things over the years, but uh, uh, a very tall lady. I'm six feet tall, and she was at least a foot taller than I was. Oh, wow. Heels. Yeah, I, I've heard that she's kind of uh, on the uh, tall side of things. Oh, yeah, very much so. As a matter of fact, I told Jonathan that uh, we should uh, get Sir Edmund Hillary and his, uh, his guide, Tenzing Norgay, to climb her. Uh, Angie Dickinson, uh, 
Elliot Gould, all old friends of mine that I had worked with at one occasion or another. And it, it's always fun because unless you're doing a movie or a TV series with them, that's the only time you really get to see them unless it's a dinner party or a function like that. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was very nice. Anyway, thank you for doing this on Space Coast. And again, thank you for Powdered Toast Man. You know who that uh, was patterned after? It was Kirk Douglas's face. Right. That's when John Chris Felucci created it. I, I have a uh, nice uh, Kirk Douglas sketch by him. I met him down in uh, San Diego one year, and he was doing Ren and Stimpy's for everybody, and I guess he got sick of doing Ren and Stimpy's, and I was going to ask him to do a Kirk Douglas, and he started drawing one. I was just blown away by that. Oh, yeah. I was with John a couple of months ago, and we did a Comcast commercial together on television. It's on TV yet, I think, right now. Hmm. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, Comcast. And their group of little kids, and I think I play a dinosaur in it, as I recall. Oh, how fun. Yeah, sure. And uh, uh, he uh, he always, the reason he hired me, he always loved Roger Ramjet, which was the first cartoon that I did as a voiceover guy back in 1965. And Ramjet, uh, we did, I think, 180 episodes of that. That was Tom Selleck's favorite cartoon, by the way. Oh, really? Roger Ramjet, when he was going to school, yeah. Yeah, that was just uh, just slightly before my time, although I did uh, end up seeing them in uh, syndication after the fact. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, they were very funny. Uh, two guys named Moss and Thurman, Gene Moss and Jim Thurman, were the writers for it. And uh, it, it was very, very much fun to do. We would record many times right across the hall from Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. And... Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, on a couple of episodes, and I can't tell you which ones they were because I don't remember, but we had Frank come in and uh, Dean Martin and Sammy doing just voices, unlabeled on the thing. I think that uh, Frank played a fireman and uh, Dean Martin played a, uh, a singer in a nightclub, which, of course, he did very well. Right. Sammy uh, did the voice of a farmer on one of I think it was in the treasure of Sierra's mattress on the Roger Ramjet, I believe. But, I, you know, when you do 180 episodes, let alone doing other things, you don't always recall. Right. Yeah. But I've been doing this since uh, I was a writer first for Jay Ward. When I came to Hollywood in 1961, my wife and I, and uh, our kids were just starting out in the business, at that, being babies at that point. Our oldest son, Scott, and our youngest son, Chris, and they're both top TV producers now in Hollywood. But uh, uh, it was always fun doing cartoons. Well, I still do. I still do Buzz Lightyear. I'm the announcer on that. And there's a new cartoon that uh, was just uh, given to me uh, day before yesterday, and I can't tell you the title of it yet because we don't have a title of it. Oh. It's me as a, as a little boy. Oh, really? The same voice as I am today. And I'll send you a copy of it uh, when, when it's okay to do that. Well, you're kind of like one of those people like, uh, uh, say, Sterling Holloway. You know, uh, one voice tends to cover a uh, gambit of uh, oh, various true. characters. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, primarily, you know, I've done maybe 3,000 different cartoon episodes. Yeah, but, uh, you know, as you draw a different character, you raise or lower your voice in, in one way or another. But usually I'm the narrator. Or I'm the superhero. Right. Whatever.
never did, although I do other voices, but I don't primarily pretend to. When you've got great talents like Frank Welker and uh, Don Messick and Dawes Butler, I owned a company with Mel Blanc for 20 years. Oh, wow. In Hollywood. And we had Mel Blanc Audio Media, and uh, it was great fun. And uh, so I would record with Mel at least three times a week. And uh, we would have every great voice person in the country there. And it was always fun. Rod Serling used to drop over, and we'd have lunch quite often. And uh, we had a big uh, cardboard acoustic tile there. And uh, when Mel died, uh, we decided to just uh, have all that memorabilia with Noel, his son, who was the vice president of the company. And uh, so we worked with just about everybody over that 20-year period. And then when beyond that 20-year period, uh, you know, I did work at Hanna-Barbera for years and years. Right. And also Walt Disney, Walt Disney Studios, and uh, just about every company doing cartoons of some kind. But uh, my first job was a writer at J. Ward Productions. When Alan Burns was there and Chris Hayward, George Atkins, all those great comedy writers who are now top producers in Hollywood. Alan Burns and Jim Brooks was not, Jim Brooks was not with Jay Ward, but Alan, Alan Burns was. And uh, they later created the Mary Tyler Moore Show, Lou Grant, Rhoda. Right. Ed Asner was at the, uh, at the convention uh, over the weekend, too, signing autographs. Uh, he's been my friend for many, many years. Uh, I was asked to ask uh, you about uh, Ted Knight from my editor because he was kind of interested as uh, anything that you had to do with him. Oh, sure. Well, we used to do cartoons together. When I was doing Space Ghost, he was doing Aquaman, I think. Yeah, uh, that's about the right period for that. Yeah. No, uh, Ted was a very, very good friend of mine. And the comedian Johnny Dark, who's a regular on the David Letterman show playing Mark Twain and uh, Abraham Lincoln, on the Letterman show, we used to go out and have lunch together frequently, the three of us. <laughs> Fun. And, uh, oh, sure, yeah, Ted was great. Uh, well, you know, we used to have a thing. Once a year, for 17 years, Collier Young, now you're very young to remember this, but Four Star Television was a major TV production company back in the late 50s, early 60s. And Collier Young was the president, along with David Niven, uh, Dick Powell, and Gig Young. And they did a lot of shows. Collier also owned Ironsides with uh, Raymond Burr. Right, I used to watch that fairly regularly. Yeah, very, very good show. So anyway, about 30 of us would get together for lunch. Not frequently, but once a year. And the regulars in that group included Joseph Cotton, the great actor, all the way from Citizen Kane on up, and uh, David Wayne, uh, Arnie Sultan, the producer of Get Smart, Ted Knight, Ed Asner, uh, Bill Dana, uh, Bert Perlutsky, the great Pulitzer Prize-winning writer for the L.A. Times and the New York Times, and uh, Alan Burns, and Chris Hayward, who created the Munsters, by the way. They were the creators of it. And, of course, later on, Chris was one of the creators of Barney Miller, and Alan, of course, with all of the MTM production things. But we, we did nothing but laugh and joke for five hours at a time, from noon until five in the afternoon, at a, a well-known restaurant called Scandia on Sunset Boulevard. And they put us in the wine cellar because we all made too much noise for the rest <laughs> of the customers. <laughs> that was a 
big part of Hollywood, like the Brown Derby was in Hollywood on Vine Street. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm so happy to be part of that era because uh, I was just a kid when I was the top morning man in the country at a radio station called KFWB. We had a 50 share of audience. Now today, uh, if you have a four share of audience anywhere in the country, that's usually number one. In 1961, 60, 1960, 61, at that period of time, we had 50 share. We had half of the listeners in the whole city, Los Angeles, which is, of course, now 15 million people. Right. right. But I mean, that's that pretty significant so numbers. Unbelievable. So, uh, I mean, I was so lucky from day one when I came in as just a young kid to be the morning man at this number one radio station in L.A., and uh, so that helped me get a lot of things, from cartoons to TV series. I guess I've done maybe, oh, between 1,500 and 2,000 television shows at one time or another. Uh, you know, of course, including Laugh-In, which was the most powerful of them all. Right. Because we had like a 40 share of uh, maybe 50, I guess about 40 to 45 million people watched every Monday night. That was the what they considered the audience at the time on NBC. Well, I, I know for my sake, uh, when I was watching that as a kid, I picked up on the connection between your voice on Space Ghost and on Laugh-In, and I wasn't much more than uh, somewhere between two and four years old at the time. Well, that's great. <laughs> well, I did a lot of commercials, too. Uh, I probably did, oh, between five and ten new commercials every week. Uh, which would be several hundred commercials every year for about 40 years. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you don't always recognize a voice from a commercial because depending on the product, I, I did everything from Ford automobiles to Borden's Kava. Kava, Kava! I don't know if you remember those commercials. They were a uh, acid-free coffee that lasted, well, they still sell it. Bob Hope's favorite coffee, by the way. I seem to kind of recall that just a bit, because uh, I was only born in 64 myself, but I tend to backtrack a bit on things. of our kids, you know. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, you're a young guy and very astute, and that's important. You know, uh, it's so, so good that people know things before their time, too. When I was a young kid growing up uh, in the Midwest, uh, I would learn about all the things, even though I wasn't around at the time of a Dillinger or anything like that. I would always read old newspapers and old magazines at every bookstore you could find, or books. And I used to read the dictionary from cover to cover every day. Uh, you know, well, let's start on the A's, let's go to the Z's today, let's go to the M's. And I guess that was prophetic because I've been part of Sesame Street since the very beginning. Right, I remember that coming on the air back in 69. Yeah, you're right, absolutely. Well, Joan Cooney, the reason I was hired, Joan Cooney was a big fan of Laugh-In, which started in 68. And she wanted Sesame Street to be like Laugh-In, with short little comedy bits that taught you the alphabet. And later, New Math. I played Dirk Niblick for years. Oh, yeah. New Math. Today, Fluff and Fold, our two little kids, are learning how to do New Math, you know, whatever it would be. So, uh, yeah, how lucky can you be? I've been so fortunate to do so many different things. But I enjoy every minute of it, you know. It's euphoric. And to do the things that you loved as a little kid and still can do and make money for it as an adult, there's no better life than that, is there? Oh, I, I 
No, wholeheartedly have to agree with that. Sure. I mean, you know, e even this interview right now, it's more or less along that lines. I never thought that I would be doing interviews and whatnot per se, but, uh, you know, I was more after uh, the art. But sure. it, it, things have just kind of developed, and I let them. And, you know, I think it's a blast to be able to, uh, you know, talk to um, various people people that uh, have had an influence on me and my career over the years. Well, thank you. Well, it's nice being part of pop culture. That's kind of what it is, I guess. Well, Paul Fries was a good friend of mine, too. Yeah, I was going to ask about him because uh, he was somebody else I would have dearly loved to have met but never had the chance to. Right. Well, he was up in Tiburon, Northern California. He moved away from L.A., uh, oh, I guess 10 years before he died because uh, he loved the San Francisco area. But uh, he was wonderful. We did quite a few commercials together and quite a few things. And he always was very nice to me. And we would always kid. He bought a Rolls Royce back very early on. And uh, just when he was not working, which was very seldom, he would go to the unemployment office in Hollywood and hear these starving actors waiting to get a check for their unemployment. And Paul would go up and get an unemployment check for one week and driving his Rolls Royce. <laughs> would all, uh, shake their fists at him. He'd just do it as a joke. Right, but... <laughs> yeah, I could see he was Big Doc and everybody, you know. And we used to work at, at quite a few things at Hanna-Barbera. And uh, delightful. And Dawes Butler was a dear friend at Don Messick. I emceed the uh, last salute for Don Messick. Oh, yeah? And, uh, at a little oriental restaurant near... Uh, Universal City, and we had every voice person in the world there to salute him, as we did Dawes Butler, you know. And uh, June Foray is one of my dearest friends. By the way, she's uh, injured her hip last week and is now in the Motion Picture Hospital. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I've okay. had the pleasure. <laughs> yeah, well, she's wonderful, you know. She's uh, only like four feet eleven, and... Uh, she was sitting in a restaurant and apparently was turned suddenly and uh, it was at the bar and she fell off and injured her hip. Somebody had come in apparently and she was just waiting to go to dinner with friends. And uh, so I'm going to call her later today at the motion picture home. She's been a longtime friend of ours. Oh, yeah. Had great voices uh, forever. I've loved her work over the years, too. It's, uh, you know, she's highly recognizable as well. Oh, sure she is. And her voice is the same now as it was 60 years ago. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, of course, with Rocky and Bullwinkle, even though the writers of Rocky and Bullwinkle were seldom at the sessions when they would record things, that was separate. It's like Laugh-In. The writers lived in a separate building than the performers. Mm -hmm. uh, they were across from the Smokehouse restaurant in Burbank. I created the phrase, beautiful downtown Burbank, oh, maybe eight years before Laugh-In began in the early 60s. I used to use it on my national radio show and my daily radio show in Los Angeles. And uh, I would always do the weather forecast. Here's the weather forecast for magnificent Monrovia, romantic Reseda, and beautiful downtown Burbank. And, of course, when we put it on Laugh-In, uh, we would do the worst footage we could find of Burbank. Well, there's the uh, here's the biggest building in Burbank right now, and we show a photo mat store, which was about maybe two feet high. <laughs> and uh, but it became part of the vocabulary. <laughs> wow! Yeah, it 
it's interesting how something like that that you just do as a joke more than anything became famous. And uh, the day after Laugh-In started, NBC started answering their phones. Good morning, NBC, beautiful downtown Burbank. And then when Carson came in from New York, he'd been doing the show in New York, and when Ed McMahon and Johnny would come out, before then, they would always say live from Hollywood, even though they were doing it at NBC. And because of the impact we made with Laugh-In in 68, uh, then they picked up beautiful downtown Burbank, too. Huh. But we were the ones who, who started it. I started it myself on my radio show. But but then when we put it on Laugh-In in 68, it became a common household word, like Paris or New York City or Chicago mm-hmm. or Hollywood. Yeah, I definitely remember that as a uh, kid, <laughs> watching those old episodes of Laugh-In. And... Oh, yeah. Right, from beautiful downtown. And on each show, I would always say, name the guest stars, whoever it would be. Starring our guest stars, Jim Garner, Bob Hope, uh, Greer Garson, you know, Raquel Welch, and back by popular demand, Morgul as the friendly Drelb. And every show said that, although Morgul was only seen on one show, <laughs> the very first show. He was like a pink, abominable mo- uh, snowman, and he had a sign that said, I am Morgul, M-O-R-G-U-L. And uh, just as a joke, each week, I would say, and back by popular demand, Morgul as the friendly Drelb. D E, let's see, Drelb, D R E L B. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, it's uh, all double thought. I, I have that card that uh, you had handed me uh, down at San Diego the one year. Uh, that was a, uh, an old, uh, you found a stack of old laughing cards and had yeah. signed the back with that. So sure. that's, uh, you know, I wanted to see about using that as a. Uh, uh, for one of the images for the uh, interview, so now I got some backstory to go with it. Yeah, well, that's the story of it. And uh, Artie Johnson and I were good friends before Laugh-In because we recorded at the studios with Mel Blank every week. Uh, so we knew each other, oh, probably 10 years before Laugh-In. He and I were doing other things. Uh, uh, Artie had done quite a few movies. He was a roommate of George Papard, one of the great stars of Breakfast at Tiffany's. And they were roommates together for a while. And Artie had done several motion pictures as an actor and always did comedy in one form or the other, as did his brother, Cos Johnson. He was one of the 16 Laugh-In writers. Most of the writers are now the top producers in comedy and TV. Uh, John Rappaport. Oh, yeah. Who worked for me. And uh, I sort of gave John a start on radio in Hollywood. He was a regular on my show. Albert Brooks was a, a regular on my radio show. He was Albert Einstein at that time. That was his real name. His father was a very famous comedian on the Eddie Cantor show called uh, Park Your Carcass was his name. And uh, Tom Straw started on my show. Tom became the producer of Bill Cosby and Whoopi Goldberg's TV series. And also Night Court. He was the producer of Night Court. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, Rappaport became the producer of MASH also was a consultant to uh, Night Court. And uh, Alan Katz got Alan the job with Laugh-In. He was writing the back uh, packages of Screaming Yellow Zonkers. Do you ever remember those? Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, anyway, Alan was writing those, and Scott and Chris, our kids, were small at that time. They said, Dad, this is really silly. Maybe you should have the guy who wrote this on Laugh-In. So I said... God, he is funny. 
So I went over to George Slaughter's office, and I said, George, I don't know who this is, but perhaps uh, one of your secretaries could find out. Uh, we found out he was a writer uh, for commercials in Chicago, and George sent him out to uh, L.A. from Chicago. He became a regular writer on Laugh-In, and that's how he got his job on the West Coast. He later became a, a top TV producer. And so I'm very proud that uh, I, I helped start so many people in the business. Yeah, so, uh, well, I know you've been very influential to a lot of people <laughs> over the years. So. I, when I spot talent, I've always been pretty good at it, and they've always done well. Kevin Spacey told me that he auditioned, when I was hosting the Gong Show, he auditioned as a contestant and didn't get chosen for it. He was doing a, a, a disc jockey routine for television, and Mayor Winningham did win. She, she got on the Gong Show. And uh, they, of course, won both Academy Awards. Mayor Winningham, M-A-R-E, uh, Winningham, W-I-N-N-I-N-G-H-A-M, and uh, Kevin Spacey. And uh, isn't that funny? They yeah. auditioned for the Gong Show. I was the original host of the Gong Show. Yeah, I remember that, because uh, I used to, uh, in my youth, watch a heck of a lot more television than I do nowadays. But uh, Yeah, me too. Me too. But uh, I watch a lot of sports, and I watch a lot of movies, and I watch our son's programs. Our oldest son, Scott, uh, won several Emmys for The uh, Amazing Race on CBS. Oh, wow. And before that, he was the producer of America's uh, Most Wanted, and now he does 10 shows. He's the executive in charge of production for 10 series on VH1. And Chris, our youngest son, uh, coming out with a video that's just a grabber. I'll send you a copy when it's done. It looks like a $5 million video. It is so wonderful. Set in medieval times. And uh, But Chris creates shows with uh, Jerry Biederman. Uh, Jerry Biederman is the nephew of Irving Wallace, who is one of the top authors of all time in America. Right. And uh, uh, Chris and Jerry uh, write together and create shows. They have one on now. It's going into their third season with the Walper Company. Mark Walper and his father, uh, oh, God, uh, David Walper. D-W-O-L-P-E-R. Right. I'm familiar and, with the name. Yeah. And they've been in big in television for years. And... Uh, this is called Instant Beauty Pageant, where they go to shopping centers around the world, and uh, they pick like six girls, six ladies at random, and they give them an hour to get ready. They give them $500 to buy a dress, get their hair fixed, buy some new shoes, whatever it might be, and then they take part in a talent contest on stage at the shopping center where they are. And the winner is crowned, oh, Miss Miami, Miss New York, Miss Las Vegas, whatever whatever city it's in. Oh, fun. It's been very, very successful. And that's for Style Channel, which is owned by the E! Channel people. They're doing very well with that. They had another uh, long, long-running show called Who Gets the Dog? And they take dogs who are, you know, just uh, sitting there in cages, and they see who, who is the best parent for these dogs. And the ones who seem to be the best for the animal then win the animal to take care of. It's been very, very successful. Uh, well, I was going to um, uh, try to uh, uh, 
go over and maybe ask a few things about some of the uh, cartoon series that you had worked on uh, during the um, periods of uh, 1969 up to, um, I would say, I don't want to go much further than, uh, say, the Ren and Stimpy show, because I know the magazine that I'm working on, Back Issue, only... Uh, only does Back Issue. Right, right. Uh, they only cover up to... Um, up until the 90s, and he might fudge a few things past that, but it depends. So, no, that's fine. We don't have to talk about anything today. Uh, Pills of Penelope Pitstop was one that I narrated with Janet Waldo, and Paul Lind was the villain. Right. Uh, Mel Blanc, Paul Winchell. Uh, so many great folks on that. I used to uh, watch that one after the Wacky Races. I was so sold on the Wacky Races. Oh, that's true. That was great. Yeah, well, uh, Yogi Bear's Space Race, uh, Scooby-Doo's, excuse me, Scooby-Doo's All-Stars, all of those. Right. I had most of those listed. Uh, I was mostly going to ask um, uh, along the lines of uh, characters that you actually voiced as opposed to mostly the announcing. Uh, so, you know, like, say, um, Radley uh, Crone, uh, the Blue Falcon for uh, the Scooby-Doo Dynamite Hour. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, of course, I was Blue Falcon, all of those, with uh, Frank Welker, who played Dinobot. And, uh, by the way, Frank Welker is going to be the new Garfield. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know, Lorenzo Music, who was a dear friend of mine, I was the announcer on Garfield again for eight years. Uh, Garfield and Friends. With Mark Evanier? Yeah. Yeah. Mark is a longtime friend of mine. And he wrote every episode and produced every episode with Jim Davis. I definitely remember Lorenzo music because uh, I remember him being the doorman on uh, Rhoda. He was Carlton. He used to play the same character on my radio show, Carlton the doorman. Oh, really? And, uh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, well, and but, I mean, he did it for the TV series. It's just because he was a good friend of mine. He would be our doorman as well as Rhoda's. And, uh, well, Carlton, well, uh, you know, he'd be out drinking in front of the door was the essence of what Carlton the doorman was, that he was always drunk. And uh, so he was a dear, dear friend of mine. We also did many, many commercials together. And I was so saddened at his death because he was one of the most talented people in the world. He's not only a great, great voiceover man, a great comedic man, but a great comedy writer and a great producer for television. He, he was a major producer for MTM Productions. Right, I remember uh, some of that stuff because I've had a few conversations with uh, Mark Evanier a couple of times. And, oh, sure, because uh, he's a historian. Mark knows the business very well. We did it. I don't know if you ever talked about a TV special that we did called the Rock and Wrestling Special. Uh, I was on camera all during the thing with Hulk Hogan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Irve Villachez. Oh, yeah, Bell, I kind of vaguely remember that. Cindy Lauper. Yeah. Well, Mark was one of the producers of that show, and it was so much fun to do. And Pee Wee Herman was on there, too. <laughs> and uh, Paul Rubens, eh? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I knew Paul before he was Pee Wee Herman. And, of course, he was part of, uh, you know, a lot of improv comedy groups in Hollywood. And uh, speaking of improv, of course, uh, I, my best friend is the greatest improv artist of all time, Jonathan Winters. Oh, yeah, I remember watching a fair amount of him back in the oh, day, too. God, he's brilliant. You know, we've done four albums together, and uh, we're going to do another one in a couple of months, I think. And it's all ad-lib, so nothing is prepared. You just ask a question, and then you talk back and forth 
live one at uh, the Improv, which is the big comedy store in Hollywood. There's also a place called the Comedy Store, but the Improv, Bud Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, uh, is the owner of it. And just every every major comic in the world, from David Letterman to Jay Leno to you name it, have appeared at the Improv. So Jonathan and I did it before a whole, an all-star audience. Red Buttons, Milton Berle, they were all in the audience, and it was just great. The audio wasn't real great, who recorded it, but it came when it came out, it sold very well for us. And, uh, but anyway, Jonathan is the man who... Uh, the people who actually started improv in the Midwest, back in the 50s, were Shelley Berman, Mike Nichols, and Elaine May. And they had a group called the Compass Players, and then they moved to Chicago, where they became a second city. That's the history of that, of improv comedy in the United States as we know it. So is that the uh, second uh, city television group then? No, that, no, that, that came separately. Okay. No, Second City was an improv group in Chicago back later in the 50s. And that's where all the top people who could add that came from. And uh, later on, uh, they had a Second City group in Canada where most of the Second City TV, SCTV, came from. Right, okay. I, I was just thinking, uh, I wasn't certain, so oh, <laughs> it's worth asking. You're a young guy. I got you're, you're a young guy like our sons are, and uh, there's no way that you're going to know that. But I just, I bring things up as a little point of asterisk. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, there was one conversation that I was having one time with um, uh, Mr. Avenir, uh, Kelly Frias, and uh, Al Felstein at the San Diego Comic-Con, and they were going on about stuff uh, from back in the uh, 40s, and I think they were talking about um, some of uh, Dave Stevens' Rocketeer material at the time. Sure. And, you know, they were talking about this stuff, and I started piping in, and they are like, wondering where I knew all this stuff from. And well, you're, you're a smart guy. You're a cultured person. <laughs> and, and Mark is, too. Uh, you know, Mark has been around for a long time, but he knows what happened long before he ever started anything. And uh, he dates Walt Kelly's daughter, you know. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Pogo. Yeah, that's his girlfriend. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, so we have nice conversations together all the time. And uh, uh, that's the beauty of being in Hollywood. Uh, so I have lunch with Sid Caesar, Carl Reiner, Arthur Marks, Groucho's son, John Rappaport, the producer of MASH, Rocky Kalish, the producer of F Troop, and uh, For the Good Times so many shows. Uh, also, uh, Ben Starr, who was one of the creators of Mr. Ed, and uh, Al Cantor, who's written for the Academy Awards for 50 years, and of course, uh, did Julia, produced Julia, the Diane Carroll show for television. And uh, Monty Hall. Oh, yeah. What a group to be with. You know, just to have lunch each time. <laughs> and uh, so, it, it's just fun. It's just great fun. And Shelley Berman, also, I have lunch with every other week. And uh, so that's the beauty of being in this city, either in New York or here. Uh, it's just great ease because, if you, of course, you can pick up a phone and call anyone in any city you want in the world. That's not a problem. But uh, it's just nice knowing these as my personal friends for a long, long time. Right. Um, and there's one name that I've noticed that hasn't necessarily been touched on, and I don't know if you've had much contact with him, but I'm going to ask uh, anyways. Uh, Hans Conrad. Oh, 
sure he was a dear friend. He used to record with Mel Blanc and myself. Yeah, because I, I think you had to have some contact with him because of Jay Ward. Well, he narrated Fractured Flickers. Fractured Flickers was primarily written by Alan Burns, who created Mary Tyler with Jim Brooks. And Alan was... Uh, Alan and George Atkins were the guys in charge of writing all the Jay Ward promotional things. And they were sent to every radio and TV station in America at that time and every newspaper, like the Jay Ward Traveling Circus. And they would have things like Amos Mungo and his tricycle riding from coast to coast. And uh, Alan and George Atkins were the guys who created all of that funny stuff for Jay Ward and Bill Scott. I don't, do you know how, how uh, Jay Ward started? Uh, not entirely, no. I mean, a real uh, estate man in Berkeley, California. And uh, he and Oscar Anderson were friends. Oscar Anderson is the one who created the drawing of Bullwinkle. Bullwinkle was named after a used car dealer in Berkeley, California. And one day, Jay is in his office selling real estate. That's what he was, a real estate man. He hadn't gone into TV yet at all. And he's sitting at his desk, and a truck careened out of control, went down a, a long hill, smashed through the front door, and broke both of Jay's legs. He sued the trucking company for millions of dollars. That's how they made the money to start Crusader Rabbit. Oh, wow. And later, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Crusader Rabbit is something I've never had the chance to see that I've always wanted to. Well, uh, I'm sure that you can still get it. Uh, if you phone Eddie Brandt's Saturday matinee in uh, North Hollywood, they would have a copy of it for you. Oh, really? Yeah. See, because I've always kind of, uh, you know, I... I um Comics and animation have always been a big thing for me, and, uh, you know, any chance to see that historical stuff. And I don't think, you know, uh, television cartoons go back much further than that point. No, they really don't. Well, they do, you know, not, not for TV, certainly, but the old Walt Disney and Terry Toon and Walter Lance things went back to movies, then switched to cartoons and TV. Right, and I know Crusader Rabbit was like one of those early things, uh, just like Rough and Ready was for Hanna-Barbera. Sure. Right. So I, I know about those. I just, uh, you know, I've seen Rough and Ready's, but Crusader Rabbit, for some reason, never quite uh, got re-serialized for whatever reasons. Well, I don't know. Of course, it was, uh, it was not primitive. It was funny at that time. But it didn't become the hip thing that Rocky and Bullwinkle did. Right. And it's like, uh, well, recently, like, um, Adult Swim has been on Cartoon Network has been airing uh, old Astro Boys. Sure. And, you know, that's some fun stuff. Uh, oh, yes, right. I like running across any of the older stuff whenever I get the opportunity because it gets shown so infrequently they figure people don't want to see it because it's a little black and white stuff. And oh, that's no, a, I, you know, I watched the Turner title. I went into the uh, Broadcasting Hall of Fame with Ted Turner and Larry King a few years ago. And uh, I got a nice chat with, with Ted Turner and when he was married to Jane Fonda. And they both came out for the event. And... Uh, I said, you know, the greatest thing in the world that you did, not only, of course, creating an all-TV news thing, because I was with Gordon McClendon back in the 50s when I was just a kid, and he created the first all-news radio station, and that was uh, in Dallas, Texas, and Houston, Texas, and uh, around there. But Ted Turner, I said, uh, you know, in buying all these movie classics, it's so great. Because even though most of them are black and white, the film noir, N-O-I-R, as you know, uh, they're fantastic. 
And I said, I, if there's anything bad that's on regular TV, I always switch over to Turner Classic Movies. You probably watch it too, but it probably wouldn't have the same meaning to you. Uh, actually, I don't get it where I'm at, and that's one channel that I've always wanted to, uh, you know, be able to see because there's so many movies on there that they just are not airing anywhere else. Oh, I know. I, I know. keep on seeing the listings, and it's just maddening some of the stuff that I see that they uh, list on there. Oh, they're fantastic. They're very good, and they can be anything. Uh, we're going to have a signing, I think, next year for the remaining members of Mad, 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 Mad World. Now, you've seen that. Oh, yeah. That, I really love that movie. We were going to do it this time, but uh, Edie Adams was supposed to be signing with Jonathan and myself. Of course, I was not in Mad, Mad, Mad World, but Stanley Kramer was a friend of mine, and we were having lunch one day, and uh, he said, you know, of all the great people, and there's so many great people in that movie that he signed for it, he said, the one that still breaks me up every couple of minutes. Actually, there are two people. Sid Caesar and uh, Jonathan Winters. Oh yeah, I can't I can't watch the movie without laughing at both of them. You know, uh, but Edie, uh, of course, played Sid's wife in the film, and uh, Stan Freeberg is still with us. He was in the movie. Uh, Carl Reiner was in the movie. Uh, I don't think there are probably more than eight people. Mickey Rooney was in the movie, of course. Right, but that, there may be eight people left from the great group of them that did everything. Oh, that was a classic laugh right of a movie. <laughs> it was just brilliant. And uh, the Three Stooges were in that film, too. And that was their last movie, or last appearance, I believe, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Well, actually, the last feature film that they starred in was The Outlaws Is Coming, with Adam West, right. Jamie Farr, Henry Gibson, and I had all of them. I'm the one who sponsored the star for The Three Stooges. I paid for it. And that was 1983 on Vine Street in Hollywood, and I was the MC for it. So I got Milton Berle to come out and uh, to be there and speak with Adam West, Henry Gibson, Jamie Farr, and uh, Emil Sitka, who was in every, every short subject with the Three Stooges. And, of course, all the relatives, including Joe Besser and Joe Dorita and so on. So we had the biggest crowd in the history of the Walk of Fame there. It went four blocks from uh, Sunset Boulevard all the way up to Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood all the way down Selma again, and uh, it, it was phenomenal. I don't know. There must have been at least 7,000 people for the event. Yeah, absolutely. That many. And uh, we started at 7 in the morning, and people were waiting around at 7 in the morning. We finally got on at 3 in the afternoon, and they were still going strong. And it was great, and I was so happy to do that. Wow, some of the stuff that you've had this opportunity to do, I mean... You, you know, that's part of the thing is, uh, you almost have to be in New York or Hollywood for that kind of thing, because that's where show business primarily is. Right. Many things come out of Chicago. Uh, most of the things go from west to east, not necessarily so, but uh, that's where so, I was so lucky to, to be a broadcaster here. I started television when I was... I think 17, started radio when I was 16, and then made my way through school at the same time. Uh, when I was in high school, I was doing radio. And I would drive 20 miles a day after going to school to be a newscaster uh, 20 miles away. Oh, wow. But, uh, and then uh, when I went to Denver, Colorado, uh, 
a newscaster. I was a national newscaster for the mutual broadcasting system when I was just a teenager, which was a nice honor. So my voice was the same as it is today when I was 16. And uh, so they didn't know, they didn't question how old I was. I could say things like, well, today in Germany we found <laughs> whatever it was. In Europe today, General Queasy said, and so as long as it sounded important, it didn't matter. But that was back in the 50s when I was a kid. Right. But uh, anyway, uh, I enjoy what I've done. And I've, it's always been a thrill to me, as I said earlier. There's a euphoric thrill about everything you do. Every time you do a cartoon or a commercial uh, or a radio show. I don't know. I've probably done 15,000 radio shows, maybe 20,000. I don't know. I've, I've never counted. But I've always done a national show for about 40 years. Uh, I just finished one that I was doing called Music of Your Life, Gary Owen show, for 30 years. Just finished that this month, last month. And then, of course, I've been in Hollywood, what, 47 years now, doing a, a daily show every day. Wow. So that's, that's probably, I would say, fifteen to 20,000 shows. I don't remember. But the thing is, you know, when you write jokes also, when I was a gag writer, uh, some years when I was starting as a kid in the business uh, I don't know how many jokes you've told when you get that through <laughs> probably a thousand a week yeah I would imagine yeah <laughs> and then I was a TV writer also for a number of things number of different shows the Alan Fick show Jim Neighbors show uh, Laugh-In uh, I wrote for Jackie Vernon when he would come to Hollywood and do specific Hollywood jokes in his act which was great and uh, but I've dealt with comedy since I was 14 years old when I won an art scholarship the man I don't know I don't think we talked about this in San Diego but the man who gave me my first art scholarship when I was 14 years old was Charles Schultz oh wow he was in Minneapolis and I was in South Dakota and he was the man getting scholarships to Art Instruction Incorporated in Minneapolis Minnesota and I won and you know draw me a, draw this pirate draw this turtle those kind of things right I have done that myself to tell you the truth oh yeah <laughs> well you would know all about that then and uh, uh, that's where I first heard from Charles Schultz later in San Francisco I was a member of the Northern California Cartoonists Association and all the top cartoonists up there and Charles Sparky as he liked to be called was a member up there and then, of course, I'm a member of the National Cartoon Society, and uh, I would see him there, too. So all of my heroes that I had when I was a kid, a little kid, I've got to know. And uh, Sergio Aragoni is one of my best friends, of course. Oh, he's a hoot. I love it when I run across him. Oh, he's wonderful. He's just great. And he and Mark have done Groove for quite a few years now, you know. Right, I got more than a few of uh, those issues of that book, so that's great. That's great. Yeah, it's very entertaining material. I just oh, sure. like the fact that they uh, like to crack with the funny as well as they do. Well, can you imagine writing every Garfield episode for television for market here? That's a lot of work. Yeah, that's work. pretty extensive. Very much so. And he utilizes voices very well, too. Uh, I once played myself as Gary Owens on uh, on Garfield the Cat also. I seem to remember that. Yeah. And then I played a double-talking chicken 
I can't remember what my name was on it, but a chicken who did double talk. So that, uh, but anyway, uh, did we stray from what we were talking about? We were talking about maybe a little uh, cartoon scholarship. Yeah, I got that, and that was a thrill for me because I drew cartoons up until I was about oh I don't know eighteen years old. And then I read, I do, uh, occasionally, I drew you a couple of space ghosts for yourself, and I'll send those in the mail. Oh, great, because uh, my editor was kind of ecstatic to find out that, uh, you know, I had a uh, pencil, though. That's, that, okay. that's fine, because uh, I was entertaining the uh, thought of uh, making copies of those and inking them. Sure. And seeing what happens with that, because um, no, that's fine. I, I thought it was a rather unique uh, angle, especially with a uh, magazine that's largely uh, concentrating on comics, but uh, this one's kind of uh, a little bit of a special theme issue. Uh, he tends to run themes with each issue, and um, this particular one that we're doing the interview for at the moment is uh, Saturday Morning Superheroes. So, oh, well, yeah, I certainly have done a lot of those. Yeah, so, you know, I talked to him last year about this and um, had heard that he was talking about doing this as a theme and uh, suggested the possibility of doing an interview with you, and he was like, well, if you can make it happen. <laughs> well, sure. Well, uh, also, I can send you some uh, photos if, you, if you'd like those. Sure, anything that uh, would uh, work. I had a shot that I just found from NBC uh, when we were doing Laugh-In. And that's me holding an NBC microphone. Or I can give you one of me on Laugh-In. Uh, whatever you'd like. Okay, well, I know I have the uh, uh, the one that you gave me from uh, the Laugh-In shot, but, uh, you know, anything that you might have, um, you well, know. I can send you, uh, uh, you know, some Space Coast things if you want those. Alex Tolp, of course, was a dear friend of mine. And he just passed away this last year. Yeah, I was I was kind of saddened by that because I, I always wanted to meet him. I only got to correspond with him through the mail, uh, but at least I got that. Well, yeah, he was at times cranky, a cranky person, but he was always nice to me. He gave me quite a few cartoons that he had done. And Daryl McNeil is a good friend of mine. Yeah, he uh, said to say hi, by the way. Oh, sure. I haven't talked to him in a while. He's, he's a very nice person. I had... Uh, Steve Rude and Daryl over at our house for a, a little party that we had one day some years ago. And Steve, of course, just loves Space Ghost. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, great, he's great. just about as fanatical as I am about it. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Well, it was a marvelous cartoon. And, of course, it was great working with the whole cast. You know, Don Messick played the part of Blip, Tim Matheson played the part of Jan, or Jace, and uh, Ginny Tyler was Jan on the show. Right. And then you had more than a few other people there, uh, like uh, Ted Cassidy, I, I remember him, and then... Uh, As a matter of fact, Ted at one time was our old night disc jockey at KMBC in Hollywood. Oh, really? Yeah. This great voice of his, and of course a marvelous actor, and so, like McKenna's Gold, and so many motion pictures like that. But, uh, no, he was a dear friend of mine for a long time. And, uh, oh, you had just about every major star in Hollywood, Paul Stewart, who was one of the great actors of all time played several villains on Space Ghost. And, uh, uh, I know that there was uh, Key Luke sure. from Kung Fu. I rather liked him as Brack. 
He was great, yes. And uh, let's see, you could probably answer this one for me because I've been trying to find out information for this for some time. Did Johnny Carson of The Tonight Show work on Space Ghost? No, that was a different boy. That was a young boy named Johnny Carson. Okay, that's what I thought because I had heard conflicting reports about that and uh, I always wanted to clear that one up. To my knowledge, I don't think Johnny did any cartoons, uh, the, the Tonight Show host. But uh, uh, the other Johnny Carson at the time, I was guesting on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and I asked him the question. I said, I was reading the credits the other day, and Johnny Carson's name popped up. Now, because we didn't always do the show at the same time other people would come in, I wasn't sure. He said, no, no, this is, that's a young man, but I've got to have him put a W or something in his name, because you're not allowed to have the same name, even if it is your name. It's like uh, Stuart Granger. Uh, was really Jimmy Stewart, but he couldn't use the name because there was a Jimmy Stewart established in the business. Oh, wow. If you're, in, if you're in the business already established, no one is allowed to have the same name, even if it is their real name. Tim Conway is not his real name. Right. Tim Conway was his real name. But there was already a star named Tom Conway, so he changed it to Tim when he came to Hollywood. I, I know that's not unheard of. No. No, well, that's a, a Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA union rule. Nobody can do that. And they could be sued if they kept doing with their real name, if there is their real name, you know. So, but that's, uh, that's part of the thing. That's not the same Johnny Carson. Okay, that, that's what I thought. I, um, let's see, I was also going to ask, um, mostly because um, I'm mostly trying to, uh, well, let's see, I'm supposed to be asking about uh, space stars, and I know I can touch in the older material because of it, um, but I want to ask about a few of the uh, people on the Space Stars show, because I know most of the cast was largely the same, um, but you had uh, two different people uh, playing Jan and Jason that um, series. I don't even remember that. Um, I mean, I remember the series, but... I don't remember who they had playing someone. Did they it? had a uh, Steve J. Spears and an Alexandria Stewart. You know, I don't know. I must. I, I must have recorded my part at a different time because I don't remember anyone else other than Jenny Tyler and Tim Matheson playing it. Okay, because uh, yeah, the uh, the other funny thing was is that uh, Don Messick was on the show, but he was playing other characters. He was play, uh, still playing Gloop and Gleep uh, from the Herculoids. Oh, but he didn't play Bleep, or Blip, I mean. They had him play, uh, Frank Welker playing Blip. Well, Frank can do almost any voice. You know, he, he could do any voice in Hollywood. He was a, a stand-up comic when he started doing cartoons, and also a big TV director from Denver, KLZ Television. Denver, KLZ was the station where he worked. And he came out to Hollywood as an actor. Uh, I, I think he didn't do any TV directing in Hollywood, but he certainly was an actor for Disney. And, uh, but he's the, got one of the truly great impressionists of all time. I was speaking to the FBI some years ago. They had an FBI convention in L.A. And uh, Dick Martin, who uh, of Rowan and Martin, was going to be a guest speaker. Well, he uh, had to leave. He and Dan had to leave to go on the road on something. So I had to switch suddenly and get another guest star. So I had Frank Welker come in as the guest star. He played Walter Cronkite, Bill Cosby, <laughs> all of the great voices he could do. 
Oh, yeah, I, I've heard him go all over the place with everything that he's done, so. <laughs> Wonderfully talented person, and he's my best friend for many, many years, you know. Not my best friend, but he's certainly one of many best friends that I have. Yeah, he's so talented. Well, you know, all the cartoon people, but I wish I had a better answer for you for uh, Space Stars, because I don't know, I don't know how that took place. Uh, many times, because I did a lot of things, and I still do, but uh, I... I typical, prototypical day for me would be to get up in the morning and do commercials till about, oh, one in the afternoon, then do my daily radio show. And say, for example, in 1968, when I was doing Laugh-In, I would do several hundred commercials uh, a month, there's no question about it, and probably do five or six cartoons a week, uh, a daily radio show a national radio show. Then I would go to Laugh-In, stay there till midnight three nights a week when we were shooting that, and uh, squeeze in public speaking. I would speak to as many as a million people a year just giving speeches back wow. in the 60s at that time. So it's, it's a wonder that I didn't have a nervous breakdown at some time because, you know, you just meet yourself coming and going. So many times when I would do Space Coast, I would just come in and do Space Coast and the other people would do the other parts separately. So we were not always together. So when we had schedules, and sometimes guest stars couldn't always make it at the same time when we were doing the whole thing. So if it was a major guest star also doing motion pictures or something, uh, they would come in and wildline the show. But Joe Barbera was so good, and all of his directors were marvelous. And uh, Joe Barbera, by the way, and uh, Bill Hanna, and Fred Silverman, were the president of CBS, of course, at that time, right. were the ones who chose me as Space Ghost. I had been doing nearly all the promos for every Hanna-Barbera show, from Johnny Quest to you name it, the Herculoids, all of those things. And then uh, Joe called me one day and he said, you know, Fred and Bill and I were talking, and because of your marvelous projection on every adventure show that we have, uh, we'd like you to be the Space Ghost character. I said, well, thank you. I'd love to do it. So that's how I got the job. I didn't have to audition for it or anything. <laughs> it just kind of happened. Yeah. Uh -huh. oh, wow. I was already working for Hanna-Barbera at that time. You know. Well, that certainly streamlined things a might, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. But, uh, no, it was, you know, I did it from 1966 to 1994 as the character. So uh, that was a nice, wonderful run on a cartoon. And, uh, but a lot of the cartoons, most of the cartoons that I've done lasted about eight years. Bobby's World with Howie Mandel and the gang there, that lasted for eight years. Eek the Cat, that I did with Savage Steve Holland, was eight years. Um, so that's a very nice run, because then they go into, you know, rerun. Right. Seemingly forever, thank God for that. But I, I did uh, cartoons for Walt Disney himself. Well, Walt directed two of them. In the early 60s, when I came to Hollywood, uh, I don't know if I told you this or if I mentioned this at the San Diego Comic Con, but I went in to narrate a, re, a reconstruction of Casey at the Bat that had been done by Jerry Colonna. And Jerry uh, was a regular on the Bob Hope show. Oh, yeah, I'm well familiar with him. Yeah. And the mighty Casey is struck out, you know. Anyway, I came in to narrate those two. Now, I don't know who the director is going to be because it was the first time I was at Disney. 
in the giant buildings there on Buena Vista Avenue in Burbank. So uh, I just started working at KMPC Hollywood, which was owned by Gene Autry, the great singing cowboy. And uh, you're familiar with Gene, I'm sure. Oh, of course. And Gene, uh, of course, owned a station in Portland, KEX in Portland. Oh, no kidding, yeah. Because that's where Mel uh, got his start. Sure. And uh, also KDI Seattle, KSFO San Francisco, KOOL Phoenix, KMPC in Hollywood. And uh, our offices were right on Sunset Boulevard between Bronson Street and uh, Van Ness Avenue. And that's where Charles Bronson got his name. One day he and his agent were driving along Sunset Boulevard, and his real name was Charles Buczynski, and he had done several movies under that name, but they felt it wasn't Hollywood enough. So his agent looked up at the sign where they're, they're double parked at this point on Sunset Boulevard and said, okay, it's going to be Brunson from now on. Charles Buczynski became Charles Brunson. That's how he got his name. Wow. And anyway, but uh, Gene Autry, okay, uh, what was I going to say? Something profound about Gene Autry. Um, God, I can't remember what I was going to say now, but uh, uh, it pertained to Gene. And Gene was, oh, I know, I, I'm talking with Walt Disney, okay? So Walt Disney comes down the hall, and the engineer says, my God, Mr. Disney's coming. Clean it up in here. The guys were reading the newspapers on a giant desk in the studio where I was about to record. And uh, they're all getting it ready. Well, one of the giant, you know, the doors were about a foot and a half thick at Disney Studios because they were built in the 30s and 40s there. And... Uh, I'm standing there, and I've got my hand against the wall. And one of the engineers from the other room doesn't know that I'm there, opens the door quickly because they're trying to clean it up for Mr. Disney to be there, and slams my finger in the door. Oh, no. He didn't mean to. He didn't even see me there. But, you know, a, a door that's a foot and a half thick is not much of a battle with a finger, a little finger. So anyway, it smashed my finger, and I'm bleeding. And Walt comes in, and he says... Uh, uh, Gary, we've never met. I'm Walt Disney. I know your boss, Gene Autry, quite well. Uh, he and Art Linkletter put money into Disneyland with me. And I said, well, Mr. Disney, my God, you're my biggest idol in the world, but I can't shake your hand because I'm bleeding right now. He said, well, you are. He phoned. Got on the phone. Within two minutes, a nurse on the lot is there. Puts a splint on my finger, and it stops bleeding. And this big bandage on my finger. Then I've got to narrate two cartoons for Walt Disney. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, terrible pain. Are you sure you're all right, Gary? Yes, Mr. Disney, I'm just fine. Today, Goofy goes fishing. You know, whatever it is. That one, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's the, and of course I got to know him quite well later, but that was the first time I met Walt Disney. Is that something? Oh, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, but uh, he always would ask me, how's your, how's your finger, you know? Oh, I'm fine, Mr. Disney. And his daughters used to listen to my radio show all the time, Sharon and Diane Disney. They were regular fans. See, when they, when he passed away, uh, if you're a giant legend in Hollywood, you can't get a star next to a legend unless the family says it's okay. So when I got my star between Walt Disney and Betty White, uh, the Disney family was asked by the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, is it fine? And they both, they all said, uh, yes, we'd love to have Gary next to our father, Star. So my star is at 6743 Hollywood Boulevard between Walt Disney and Betty White.
fun. If I ever make it down there, I'm going to have to hunt that down. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's right on Hollywood Boulevard there. And it's a couple blocks from the Kodak Theater. Actually, if I'm uh, not mistaken, I might be able to use a program called Google Earth to get a uh, nice close uh, shot from a satellite. Well, <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. I think there's one there. Yeah, I would think uh, that. All I over, think by the way, my tube, I'm all over that right now. Somebody put Gary Owens on my tube. I didn't do it. But there's uh, some shots of me hosting the gong. I was the original host of the gong show before Chuck Barris bought us out. And uh, uh, that's on YouTube. Uh, five or six people called me last Friday and said, oh, they think it's great. A lot of the Sesame Street stuff is on there. And for all I, I haven't seen it yet myself. I haven't had a chance to look at it. Oh, I think they released um, a DVD set for... Um, uh, information on that, though. I, I seem well, to remember watching those, but... There wasn't a lot of information about it. I just would go in and record, and then go on to the next goodie, and I enjoyed it very much. But, I mean, it, it, that sounds cavalier. I don't mean to be that way, and I'm not. But the, I don't remember anecdotes from that period of time so well, you know, because many times, much of that was just not doing it with the rest of the cast. I would go in and narrate it, or, or do my lines. Right. And then go to the next goodie that I was doing. I've been in 26 movies over the years, and uh, that's always been fun. And I've got a new one coming out with Jonathan Winters, Robin Williams, uh, Howie Mandel, Rob Reiner, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Sarah Silverman. Uh, oh, my gosh. There's Tim Conway, Jonathan, of course, and uh, Robert Klein. A whole bunch of people. Well, we all play ourselves in it. It's a phony documentary coming out called Certifiably Jonathan. Oh, so that's kind of along the same lines as Comic Book the Movie then? Yeah, pretty much so. Yeah, then. That there's not that much of a story. Comic Book the Movie had a little more of a story to it because this is about Jonathan losing his sense of humor as a painter. He's a marvelous artist, you know. I, I think I remember that being touched on somewhere, but I can well, tell you where. Uh, Georgia Frontier, who just died recently, who owned, bought these St. Louis Rams. Uh, she didn't own it. She inherited it from Carol Rosenblum. Uh, but she was a, a neighbor in Malibu of Jonathan Winters years ago, and they became very good friends. And about three, four years ago, she bought 25 of Jonathan's paintings for $25,000 per painting. Wow. And they uh, were in the St. Louis Arena on display. And she was a big fan of Jonathan. So Johnny was, you know, he was, uh, that was enough money to buy a new sandwich if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
talk about four times a week. Jonathan and I chat all the time. He's, uh, I would say, certainly one of my ten best friends in the world, including my boyhood friends, you know. Right. Yeah, he, he's another one of those people I uh, have always uh, wanted to try to meet at some point. Oh, well, you probably will if you come down here often enough, you know. Uh, I'll, try, I'll try to get him into the Comic-Con convention if I can in the next couple of years. That would be fun because uh, I remember uh, when, uh, you know, back in, uh, I think it was, yeah, 2004 when uh, the comic book, the movie was shot, I was just ecstatic about the fact that uh, you were going to end up being down there and had no clue what was going on. Oh, and nobody Yeah, and, you know, I just, uh, you know, I owe Mark Hamill a big thank you at some point for, uh, you know, because I managed to get in contact with you and, uh, you know, you and Jack Kirby were probably the two people that I most wanted to meet in the world because of the influence that um, you have imparted on me, whether you knew it or not. Oh, well, that's great, Richard. <laughs> that is so nice. Well, you know, Jack Kirby was a friend of ours because David Folkman was a very close friend. Uh, David is with Caps, the Cartoon Society in Hollywood, and a very close friend with the Kirbys. And we used to have dinner together. And... Uh, I just loved everything he ever did because Captain America was one of my favorite comics when I was a kid. Captain Marvel and Captain America. Oh, I was yeah. The, uh, I was the MC for the newsreels for Superman uh, for Fox Television. It was actually Metro Media at that time when the movie Superman by the Salkins came out. And among the people I interviewed there and became pretty good friends with, and uh, of course right now Mark Evanier is writing a, a whole book about the whole thing, with uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. But uh, I interviewed them at that time and helped them get a lifetime salary because uh, they had never gotten one from D.C. Right. I remember Neil Adams being involved with that yeah. a fair amount, too. Ray Bradbury and I were involved in it. Quite a few people were. And, uh, you know, one was going blind, the other working, of course, at the post office. And it was difficult for them. They were only 19, so they didn't know about business when they were just starting out. Well, I was kind of young for that business back then, too. <laughs> sure, and they were not in New York. They were in Cleveland, Ohio. And, uh, you know, you just don't know. First of all, it takes you till you're about 40 before you know what business is about. That's just the nature of it. And especially if you're in the entertainment business or the cartoon business or the writing business. Uh, it's a whole lifetime of learning for everyone. Totally. Yeah. But it's fun. As long as we're in a fun business, that's what counts. I mean, if I had to have a regular job, if I had to work at the Mabel and Earl's Heidi Ho Club, uh, which is the one nightclub I go to, <laughs> that's a, a fictional reference, by the way, just from my radio show, I would always have Mabel and Earl's Heidi Ho, because back in the 40s and 50s, there were always clubs around the country called the Heidi Ho Club, and they would usually have dancers and singers and all those things. But uh, if I had to work in a regular place, I wouldn't know how to do it. I wouldn't know. I couldn't deal with the public if, if somebody says, just a minute, this steak isn't done well enough for me. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so I'm glad I'm in another business. Well, yeah, you've had uh, quite a fortunate and incredible career. <laughs> well, I've never had a real job, I mean, other than entertainment. Uh, you know, even working for my uncle, who owned a newspaper back in the Midwest, I used to draw cartoons for him when I was 10 years old, and I would draw gag cartoons, and that's how, you know, until I got into radio and TV, I never had a real job. Working for my uncle is nepotism, I think. I would carry hot lead in for his linotype, 
at that time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not too good for a person, I don't think. Oh, no. Uh, my uh, grandfather ended up uh, doing that sort of thing back in the day where he was, uh, you know, laying uh, lead and slugs and everything, oh, sure. so. Yeah. My sister used to date a guy who was a writer for the Portland Oregonian. Ken Jumper was his name. J-U-M-P-E-R. I don't know if he's still there or not. Probably not. Probably retired. But uh, she dated him back in the, in the Midwest for a number of years, and he moved to Portland and uh, became a writer. And Jerry Tippins. Uh, there were three people that I worked with back in the Dakotas uh, when I was a sports writer. One was a man named Jerry Tippins, who I think writes for the Portland Oregonian, if I'm not mistaken. And the other was Alan Newharth, who's a, a wonderful man named, who was the chairman of the board for years for Gannett. He started USA Today, which is the biggest newspaper in the world. All right, yes. Well, we were all sports writers at the same time when I was going to school back there. Interesting. I'll yeah. check into that uh, for you a little bit later on here. My name Jerry Tippins, T-I-P-P-E-N-S, or uh, Ken Jumper. Uh, they all became newspaper writers in Portland. That should be easy enough to find out about. Sure. I'd be more than happy to check into that for well, you. You know, it's no major thing, but uh, I haven't seen either of them for years, so, you know. Well, I just uh, was doing uh, some interview work with uh, Joe Sinnott, who used to work on the Fantastic Four with Jack Kirby back in the day. I got started on that with Dick Clark. Dick Clark and I were hosting a telethon uh, with the Fantastic Four. Oh, was that, uh, let's see, I know that there was ABC, America's Best Comics back in the day, and that was a special that, uh, issue that they did. Well, this wasn't in a comic book. This was oh. a TV series. Oh, okay. Other than that um, Kamiko book, 
Um, I really haven't run across much of anything uh, with you having done an interview or anything in any regards to the cartoons. I don't do as many as I should. Uh, Part of it has always been, you know, coming and going all the time. And uh, even though I've received a lot of publicity over the years, I really haven't done a lot of in-depth interviews, you know. They may be short interviews uh, with a thing that might take up one page or something. But, uh, no, I'm honored that you would uh, you would like to choose me on this thing. Well, you know, it's uh, part of it for me is just like you were saying, you know, I'm going to do something that I really enjoy, and I get to, uh, you know, share... Uh, information with a number of people about your career and everything. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Well, I'll give you some plugs on my national radio show, too. You know? Oh, keen. I'm sure uh, Michael will definitely appreciate that. Yeah, well, we cover about five million people. It's about the same audience that Jay Leno uh, and Letterman have for television. So we're in 250 cities around the world. Wow. Let's see, I'd have to, uh, I'd like to be able to find that. Um, do you have a website well, or something for that? Do, when I record it to give you the plugs, I'll have a copy made so you don't have to worry about, you know, it's, it's different in each city. They don't play the same show in the same city in the same day. Right. So in other words, uh, in New York, it may be on a Thursday. Uh, in L.A., it may be on the following Tuesday. They, they're staggered. I don't date them at all. But I, what I do say when I give a plug to something, I just gave Bert Pavutsky a plug on a new book that I'm in called Success. Uh, Legends and Luminaries tell how they got that success. And they did three pages on each of us, from Jack Lemmon to Billy Wilder to uh, Larry Gelbart to, there were, I think, 48 of us in the book. And each, each one is about three pages long. And uh, I just gave Bert a giant plug on his new book, which is selling in bookstores everywhere, called Success and How They Achieved Luminaries and Legends and How They Achieved It. And it's very well done. I think I'm going to have to look out for that because I uh, ran across a book like that down in uh, San Diego at one point that um, uh, was a Hollywood organization that was doing it, and they basically had uh, gotten interviews from various uh, people about how they went about achieving success in uh, their lives with their careers and whatnot. Well, this one is brand new. It just came out this month. And uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, all of the usual places have it. It's uh, it's not a large book, but it's it's like twenty dollars or something like that. But uh, anyway, if you come across it, I'm in there. Uh, I think Casey Kasem and I are the only two radio people in there. Key, uh, he's somebody that if I would have been able to do something about it, I wouldn't mind if it have done something with him for this too, because he did Battle of the Planets and Scooby Doo, of course. Yeah, right. He played uh, not Scooby, uh, Don Messick with Scooby Doo. Right. But, uh, uh, Shaggy. Shaggy. Shaggy Rogers. Right. And uh, I think Ron Owens, who's a uh, talk show host in San Francisco, is in that too. But so there would be only three broadcasting people in that in that particular issue or that particular book that's coming out. But, uh, well, Casey and I were in San Francisco together. I was the morning disc jockey. He was the mid-afternoon disc jockey. And Michael Jackson, who's a talk show host from South Africa, from England, uh, was on all night. And uh, we had quite a station. We were number one in San Francisco when we were up there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, It's fun. Radio is fun. 
if you make it that way. It can be a drag if, it, if you don't make it that way. You know, it's, it's like anything. But I've always done radio in addition to television and movies and cartoons and commercials. And that's why it's always... You never get bored because each day it's a different challenge of some kind. Sir, and thank you so very much for allowing me the interview and for all the help that you've given me with this because this is my first major article and, you know, I really want to do this one upright. <laughs> well, thank you, Richard. You're, you're very bright. Uh, you're a wonderful writer. And uh, thank you for all your, your concern and thank you for your kindness. I appreciate that. And we will talk soon. And when you get these from me in the mail, which will be a couple of days, uh, if they're not all right, give me a call. Okay. I, I'm sure everything will be just fine. And as soon as I find out uh, what's going on from my end, um, the issue should be out sometime this summer. I'm thinking that's July. Okay. Well, we'll give it a lot of plugs on the national show. So, you know, there will be a little bit of lead in, but as soon as I know for sure when it's going to come out, I'll make sure that I let you know. Okay, well, thanks again. Have a good one now. Okay, thank you so very much, Gary, and you have a good day. Okay, Richard. Okay, bye-bye. I'd like to thank Richard Scott and Gary Owens for allowing me to air the interview, and special thanks goes out to John Morrow and editor Michael Yuri. As I said, back issue number 30 is on sale now. For more information on Tomorrow's and all the publications here at Tomorrow's, please read the Tomorrow's blog at tomorrows.com, and be sure to subscribe to the blog with your RSS reader. That's the best way to keep in touch with all the happenings here at Tomorrow's. We'll be back in early October for our next regular show. 